everyone, to the Talking Reef Podcast. Questions and comments are always welcome. Please send them to podcast at talkingreef.com. And don't forget to visit our website at www.talkingreef.com. Now here's the show. Welcome to the Talking Reef Podcast, the weekly talk show that brings you topics and discussions on marine and reef aquariums. In this show, we're going to help you learn and understand how your tank works. And we're going to help you with your questions. Every week I'll bring you a topic about the marine fish or reef keeping. And once a month I'm going to bring you an interview from a columnist from Reef Keeping Magazine found at reefkeeping.com. There have been a lot of changes on the Talking Reef podcast recently, uh, both with the show and with the website. I'm sure any of you that have been to the website and who have been to it before have noticed that we have underwent a total major redesign of the website. Um, A lot of new functionality uh, is there. We are missing a lot of things too, uh, but it is a work in progress and I'm going to continue to get a lot of that stuff put back in there shortly. Please make sure you check out the site uh, for information and and stuff that's been going on. I'm probably going to be releasing a community update show like I did uh, about a month ago or so, uh, probably in a few days. And in that show, I'm going to go over a lot of that stuff that's been going on. Uh, There's just too much of that to talk about in the main show. And that way that uh, we can have the people that want to listen to it can, and the people that don't want to listen to it can just skip over it without missing any of the Real Talking Reef content. So, in this show, I had originally planned to simply talk about substrates in your tank and how they work and this, that, and the other thing, and I was planning on keeping it a short, light uh, uh, episode and stuff like that. But as I got into it a little bit more and started writing the outline, I realized that there's a lot of stuff that uh, a lot of people probably really don't understand about this, uh, about the substrate and, and how it works and the differences in using a deep sand bed and a light sand bed in a bare bottom uh, having you know no substrate in the tank. So basically what I'm going to do is I'm going to release uh, two different episodes, um, and in the first episode, which is this one right here, I'm going to get in and discuss exactly how the sand bed in a tank works, uh, both naturally and how it actually works in your aquarium, uh, more so to the aquarium. But I'm going to go through and provide a lot of the functional information on how it works, how it processes, uh, and how it works as a a filter. Uh, And then the second part of this show, I'm actually going to go through and do some comparisons and stuff like that, and do the deep sand bed versus bare bottom and stuff like, you know, various stuff. Um, The reason I'm doing this, uh, like I said, is to split them up. um, But, you know, basically the first show is going to be more informational. The second part is going to be more practical. We can split it up into a couple different pieces, and you can listen to it at will. The first thing I want to clear up is that we have to understand, uh, despite popular belief, water does not actually move through the sand bed on its own, and that the water will not diffuse into the sand bed all by itself. Now, whether you have a lot of flow from powerheads, sump returns, or closed loop systems, unless you actually pump water through the sand bed, such as using a reverse under gravel filter, it will not naturally diffuse into the sand bed. The fact is that the particles making up a normal sand bed are simply too fine and too compact to allow this movement to take place. The fact is all water movement through the sand bed is actually done by the little critters that live in and on the substrate. Now what this does is it creates two zones if you will. You're gonna have a zone above the substrate that has a lot of water movement and then you're going to have a zone that's below the surface of the substrate with little to no water movement and what we're going to do is we're going to concentrate on that zone that's below the substrate surface this zone here on out referred to as um, the sand bed or the substrate 
uh, is going. It's then really divided up into three main layers. At the very surface, um, you're going to have an aerobic layer, which I'm sure most of you remember. I've talked about many times before. This layer is uh, aerobic layer. It actually has a larger, higher amount of uh, dissolved oxygen content in it. And below that layer, you have an anaerobic layer. Now this is a layer that's got little uh, dissolved oxygen, uh, little oxygen in that area. And finally below that what you have is what's called an anoxic layer. This is a layer that has no dissolved oxygen and basically it's devoid of oxygen. Now these layer, in between each of these layers um, is usually a combination of the two. You have different types of critters that are going to live in your aerobic and anaerobic and, and stuff in, layers, but actually between those layers you're going to have a combination of the two. Now these layers are not created all by themselves. They're created by the, cre the little critters that live in the substrate. While oxygen can naturally diffuse into the sand bed all by itself, uh, this, is, this effect is so uh, minor that with no life in the sand bed, the, you would have a layer of about a few millimeters that was aerobic and anaerobic and, but after that, the rest of the sand bed itself would be totally anoxic, uh, totally devoid of oxygen. Basically what happens is there are millions of microorganisms and bacteria that you can't really see that live on the sand particles and within the bed. Most of these consist of microalgae, cyanobacteria, and diatoms. These organisms, organisms will consume various dissolved materials and will continue to reproduce and release enzymes into the substrate itself that will further break down um, other organic materials that can then be uh, consumed. Uh, it's these microorganisms that live in the anaerobic and even in the anoxic zones that do, you know, they basically ser serve as the food source for higher organisms. Um, but they actually do most of the work consuming the dissolved materials in the tank. Um, but these critters are really only the start of a, a complex interdependency uh, that creates a total filtration effect of the sand bed. Uh, another piece is the larger organisms like the, the bristle worms, different types of worms, fireworms, uh, snails, uh, small crabs, uh, some of the small starfish, uh, and other critters that some stuff that will come on your live rock and uh, it, it, usually the stuff that's referred to as the cleanup crew. So basically you can see how this um, transition occurs. You've got the larger organisms that live up at the, the top of the surface that are going to, you know, like I said, the stuff that's usually referred to as your cleanup crew. Um, a lot of different types of worms and stars and stuff like that. What they'll do is they're going to consume mostly the waste left behind by like the fish uh, and also any excess food that hasn't been eaten or anything like that that's at the surface. And since they live usually on or just under the surface of the substrate, what will happen is they, you know, after they eat, they've got to, stuff has got to go somewhere. So what they'll do is they actually excrete a lot of the waste products and byproducts into the upper layers of the sand bed. Now, what happens next is there is a, basically another layer of uh, microorganisms that are going to live here and it's this layer that basically um, consumes that waste and basically passes it right down the line and as time goes on uh, once you become getting to the term 
uh, the term that's given, a mature sand bed, what happens is you get to a point where the organisms in the sand bed are thriving very well, and what's going to happen is they're going to start to spawn and reproduce in and on the sand bed. Uh, basically what will happen is they're going to release larvae and sperm and eggs, uh, and this usually is released uh, at the near surface of the water, and some of this actually gets turned back up into the water column and is used for food by um, other organisms living in there and even the coral in, in your fish tank. So, you know, there's a, another cycle going on here where the sand bed is actually going to help feed uh, a lot of your other organisms in your tank. Now, at a high level, that pretty much covers the gist of it. Um, just to kind of recap, uh, the point that I'm really trying to get across is the sand bed is really... Uh, it's a complex environment, uh, and it's very important to the tank. Depending, on, you know, of course, depending on how you're setting up your tank, if you're trying to use a sand bed, then, you know, of course, it is, it's a very important component. And you know, it, it's it's more than just certain types of bacteria. It's more than just the critters that you can see. It's important to understand that going through all of this and allowing the tank to mature, uh, terms such as seeding the sand bed. Uh, I, hopefully this helps put it all in perspective. You know, you've got the, the various types of bacteria that live really throughout the sand bed. Um, you know, but I, the, the ones that I talked about, uh, the cyanobacteria, uh, the diatoms. I know some of you are probably saying uh, cyanobacteria is photosynthetic. And, uh, well, yes, that's true. And actually what happens is um, in, in a properly lit tank, you know, most of the tanks, light can actually penetrate uh, quite a ways down, you know, like I said, if you're dealing with a, a deep sand bed, it's pretty much anything over four or five inches, light can actually penetrate down, you know, uh, almost half halfway in a, in a, you know, a two inch deep sand bed. I think you're going to get about uh, one to three inches, depending on how fine the material is, uh, but light can actually get down there, um, and the different types of photosynthetic bacteria can use that uh, along with the other stuff that they consume at, at you know at that level so uh, but you know like I said uh, there's a lot of different stuff going on there you've got your your larger critters at the surface that are eating consuming and leaving waste behind that are then eaten and consumed by a different set of uh, microorganisms, not necessarily the bacteria, but you're going to have smaller things, uh, stuff, uh, little tiny worms, nematodes, stuff like that, uh, that are going to be very, very small, but that are going to actually live uh, right, you know, below the surface, uh, a little bit below the surface in, in the different areas. So, you know, hopefully this helps put all the different stuff into perspective for you. Uh, there's definitely a lot more information out there. I, I did try to keep this as like a, a brief recap and one of the couple th a couple things that I did want to mention is uh, a couple of places where I got some additional information about this topic. Uh, first of all, reefkeeping.com has loads of great articles about this. Uh, sometimes they can be a little bit difficult to find when you're looking for a very specific topic. So that's where I want to mention another great site that, that helps you a lot with this. Uh, many of you may have noticed that I've had the logo um, on the Talking Reef website for some time, uh, but there's a site called Reef Index. This is a great site that actually goes through and indexes and sorts all of these great articles all over the internet by category. So uh, make sure you go there and check it out. Now another site that I wanted to mention, I'm going to get into some more uh, questions after uh, in just a moment, but another site that I wanted to mention, uh, 
on behalf of Travis, uh, someone who's been helping me out a great deal getting the new site up and running. Uh, it's another project that he's working on uh, that I'm going to be helping out with. Uh, it's a site called Reefpedia. Uh, there's a link on the Talking Reefs website for that. There's actually a couple links, one on the main uh, navigation bar at the top and then there's a, a little image logo at the bottom for it. Uh, but this is an exciting project that he started. Like I said, I'm going to try to help him out as much as I can. And basically it's going to be an encyclopedia all related to reef and marine uh, topics. So you'll be able to go there, um, look up something very specific and get um, various pictures and, and a lot of information. So this is something that's uh, really exciting. Uh, like I said, there's links on it. So make sure you go over to that site, check that out. Um, it's actually done with a wiki. Um, and for, you know, I'm not going to get into the, what exactly a wiki is, but if you're familiar with a wiki, then you know that you can go in there and contribute to it very easily. So make sure you go over to there uh, and check that out. That's at reefpedia.com. And like I said, there's links all over the Talking Reef website on, on how to get there. So at this point, I want to uh, quickly jump into some questions and answers, and I'm going to take care of that, and we'll wrap up the show. And, uh, you know, real soon we're going to have the second part of this show come out, and we'll be able to hopefully tie all the different pieces together for you. So the first question that came in, this actually came in on the, the Talking Reef forums uh, in the site, uh, in the questions and answer forum. So I'm going to kind of highlight the question, and if you want to see the whole thing, you can go and check out the the thread that's there. Um, but basically, this came in from Fish Crazy, which is actually a new Talking Reef member, at least new to the to the website. But basically, he he's describing how he has managed to train various uh, uh, fish that he's had. Uh, talked about a, a an eel that he was able to train to feed out of his hand over time. And now he's trying to train uh, a large Cl Clarky clownfish, uh, basically to do the same thing, to be hand-fed, you know, come up to the hand, take, you know, food right out of your hand. And his question was, uh, is there any harm in doing this? Uh, is there going to be any detrimental health effects? And, you know, basically, you know, I, I responded on the on the website, and basically my two cents on it is, uh, first of all, I think it's great that, you know, that there's somebody that's, you know, that he's taking the time to do this, to, spending the time with his tank uh, and everything. That's that's wonderful to see. Um, the other thing is I don't really see any negatives to this. Um, he did make the, the comment that he does wash his hand thoroughly before he does this. Now, while that sounds like a real good idea, there's an important thing you have to keep in mind is you need to make sure that while you wash them thoroughly, they need to be thoroughly rinsed because soap, while it may be good to clean your hands, is very dangerous to your, to your tank. So a good rinse uh, is, is a good idea. If you are going to use soap, you have to make sure that you make sure you get it all off. But again, regarding um, training your fish and having your hands in there and stuff like that, uh, if you're working with them like that, I don't really see any issue with it. The only thing that might come up uh, when you first start uh, a little project like this is you have to pay attention to the fish and see how they react. Having your hands inside the tank like that can be quite stressful. So, you know, keep that in mind. Make sure you're not stressing them out. Don't keep your hands in there and don't chase them around and stuff like that. So, you know, other than that, the, the, the only negative that I can think of is if the damn fish comes up and bites your hand, which some of the larger, uh, especially the females uh, in the clownfish species, they can get quite aggressive. And they do have little teeth, you know, not that they're going to run through and break your skin, but uh, let me tell you, when you've got one of those little buggers chasing after you, it's... It's a little a little scary at first. Um, I've been going through some stuff uh, 
with raising clownfish eggs and, st- and, and stuff. And the it's actually a friend's tank who, ha- you know, has the pair that's hatching. And, I you know, I'll go over there and pick up the eggs and transport them back and hatch them out and so forth. But the problem is we have to get into the tank and get the eggs out. And I'll tell you, those clowns fish, especially the female, very aggressive. So, anyways, if you do take on an endeavor like this, just make sure that you're not... Um, dealing with something that's very aggressive make sure you take it slow uh you know keep your hands free of you know soap and other chemicals and stuff like that but all in all you should be fine and i you know again i commend you on your efforts i think this is a uh, a great little thing to do the next question that i wanted to cover uh, again came in from the talking reforms uh, under the the site question the podcast show questions forum uh, this one's from fam411 again another registered user of the Talking Reef website, uh, which I might mention, it's great to see uh, a lot of new members signing up at the website. I love seeing it. Uh, I know that, you know, getting the discussion going on there is great. There's a lot of great people in there that do check out the site a lot. So if you've got questions, jump in there, make sure you, you, you throw them in there. So anyways, this question from fam411 uh, basically is describing that he is going to be upgrading from he or she, I'm sorry, I don't know. I make that mistake too often. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, FAM411 is going to be upgrading from a 30-gallon tank to reef tank to a 75-gallon tank. Um, but due to space concerns, the 75-gallon t- tank's got to go in the exact spot where the 30-gallon is. Uh, so basically what the question is, is how do you tear down the 30-gallon tank uh, totally, put up the 75-gallon tank without hurting or killing anything in there? Uh, he, he, she, sorry wants to reuse as much of the the existing rocks and sand and stuff like that as possible and basically really I, t- I talked about this I think this was a show that me and Matt actually talked about uh, in episode 14 uh, so you can go there and check out that show but really it's not that difficult the key is save as much water and everything as you can get some large coolers uh, actually for a 30 gallon tank one or two decent sized coolers would be enough uh, some buckets to hold some water stuff like that uh, and you really just take everything out slowly uh, personally what I find because uh, I've actually done something similar to this is if you break it down you have a couple different buckets holding your water um, whatever you put your coral in uh, if you do have coral you want to make sure that you you know of course they sh- anything that's got anything alive in it should be kept heated uh, but you want to make sure that you also keep water current and stuff like that in there too so again start uh, usually the best thing to do is start uh, getting the the coral and the live rock out getting it into some kind of holding container plastic bins buckets coolers anything like that uh, keep it heated keep some water current in there now, once you've got the rock and the coral and stuff like that, basically all the immovable stuff, or the non-mobile stuff, out of there, the next thing that you want to do is, you know, now that you'll have a clean open area, you can usually net the fish a lot easier at this point uh, because they don't have stuff to hide in, on, under, around, stuff like that. And you can usually net them out real quick. Again, put them into a heated container with tank water Uh, for the fish it's not so important to have the water current but what is important that you have some kind of air stone in there to make sure you keep the water oxygenated and that air stone will uh, you know also help with some water movement and stuff like that you know from there uh, the next thing to do is to pretty much remove as much of the water as possible uh, basically right down to the the substrate of the sand bed and you know, at that point, the next thing is to pull out the sand or the substrate, whatever you have in there, and get that into some kind of holding container. Now, this 
you know, optimally should be kept wet. So, you know, make sure you keep it in a little bit of water. But uh, again, a sand, uh, a box, uh, a fish box, styrofoam boxes, another thing you use, buckets, anything like that. Uh, you put it in there. And, you know, at that point, it's pretty self-explanatory. Get the old equipment out, put the new tank in. Again, start with the substrate. Lay that back down in there. Um, you want to fill it back up with, you know, the, all the tank water that you've been using. Give it time to settle out. Uh, top off with, you know, your RO distilled water, whatever you happen to be using. Um, get it all filled back up. You know, again, let it settle out as much as possible. The stuff that you have, the livestock that you have in the the buckets and the coolers and stuff like that, it will be okay in there for a little while. You don't have to worry about keeping the corals lit. Um, they will be fine uh, without light for the time being. This is usually one of the projects that you want to start early in the morning so that, you know, by the towards the end of the day, you can get them back in there, get some light to them uh, before the night comes around. Uh, so, again, you know, once it starts to, the water starts to settle and clear out, uh, then you can get the livestock back in there. One of the things that helps a lot uh, when you're pouring the water back in there, a little trick, is using a, a plastic plate or even a bowl to pour the water into. And then what you can do is actually, you know, by using the, the bucket, uh, sorry, not the bucket, the uh, bowl, you can pour the water into that and it will spill out of that and go, you know, into the tank. That way you're not pouring it right in and it's not going to drill a hole in the substrate and stir up all of your sand and everything. So I hope that helps you out. If you have any more questions, you know, as usual, hit the website, post them in there. And sorry about the, the phone ringing in the background. Uh, I tried to shut it off, but uh, apparently it didn't work. So uh, let's see. Let's see if we got any. Nope. I think that's about it for this show. Uh, there was another question posted in the coral forums regarding the care of uh, branching hammer corals. So, you know, feel free to check that out. I did go through and give a, a very detailed uh, answer to that question right into the form. So I'm not going to get into all the details. Okay, so that's about it for this show. I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up. And uh, I will see you very, talk to you very shortly in uh, part two.